And as they go, we're going to talk about forgiveness today. And maybe you need to forgive somebody or maybe you need to be forgiven. Maybe there's something in your past that you want forgiveness from. It seems to me that there's a lot of people using things like Facebook and other things to try to make peace with their past. Things like, you know, um, you probably remember me from 25 years ago and to see, you know, if they still remember that thing that you did that was so terrible and maybe they don't remember it all, but you do. But you'd sure like to know that everything was okay between the people that were involved making peace with your past. Sometimes people wait till they get to funerals to make peace. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have a desperate need to try to contact the person to get the forgiveness that they want and it's not possible. So all they can do is pray and forgive the other person and uh, just trust God for the rest of the forgiveness because His forgiveness is complete. But I want to show you a video clip, a, a short clip of a real life situation of a husband and wife and the difficulties they went through and when it seemed totally impossible, forgiveness changed everything. Within the first couple of years after I started working, I was gone an awful lot. My focus was definitely started to become more and more on, on work and the success I was having there. I knew that he wanted a lot of money and that was his, his goal was, was to be successful one day. I was enjoying my own success. I mean, it wasn't for her benefit or our benefit. It was you know, for my benefit. I spent a lot of hours working, a lot of hours after work, maybe going out with friends. So I've started to feel um, slowly kind of left out. I didn't think that she really respected the level that I had achieved or the work that it took to get to that level. Everybody else thought I was great, but when I was at home, I didn't feel like she thought I was great. I blamed myself. What is it that I'm not doing that's making him so unhappy? Can I lose weight? Can I clean the house? Can I cook a better meal? There was just a coldness and no, uh, a, a real lack of connection between the two of us. I'd already decided I didn't want to be in this marriage anymore. He filed for divorce. And I didn't know. If he can leave his daughter, then there must, he must really just, it must be me. I was talking to one of our mutual friends on the phone one night, and I remember telling her it would almost be easier if there was another woman. And she said, you mean you don't know? I think what I found with the affair was someone that I thought, um, was just much more compatible with me than than my wife. It was someone I knew, and it was, you know, just, it felt like just one low blow after another. I did tell myself at that time that, you know, hey, if Stacy would just, you know, if she just, if we were more compatible, if we enjoyed the same things, then we wouldn't be in this situation. He had a new love and he was on his way to, to being happy. And I was wallowing in this, you know, despair. Driving home one night, and I thought I'd just hit absolute rock bottom. Literally pulling the car over, stopping, and just started sobbing and weeping and crying out to God and just saying, you know, God save me. I called Stacy and asked her 
forgive me. No expectation. I mean, our divorce was final at that point. No expectation that, of us getting back together, but just, I had never said that to her. I needed to hear it, and I'm, I'm, I was so grateful that he had asked me to forgive him, but in my mind, I had already forgiven him. I reached the point where not only did I ask forgiveness, but I decided I wanted to be with Stacy. And Stacy decided she wanted to be with me. And we worked and were committed towards making that work. I decided to remarry Bill because I knew in my heart that I had never stopped loving him. This changed us. It changed Bill, it changed me, and it changed our marriage. Well, we still have our fights, but, but it's just, it's so much better than anything I could have ever imagined marriage ever being. So forgiveness can change people's lives and sometimes you do things that you need to be forgiven of. Things that are so terrible that you think that there's no way that anybody would ever forgive you. And sometimes you need to forgive other people which is hard and often a process but God has forgiven us and He wants us to forgive other people, and if we want to be peacemakers, we have to learn the skill of forgiveness. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you just, okay, I forgive you without any thoughts or any care. If you come to the men or women's Bible study on, well, Monday for women and Tuesday for men, you will learn some more keys to forgiveness, how to forgive, and some of the, some of the important steps of forgiving. But God cares about us, and God loves us, and He reaches out to us, and He offers us forgiveness for whatever it is that we've done. Whatever it is, how terrible it could be, He can forgive, and He will forgive if you ask Him. Now, that doesn't mean that if you do some kind of big crime that you're going to get off the hook and you won't have to suffer society's penalties. Just because God forgives you doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're released from your prison sentence or whatever else is a result of that. But there is an awesome dynamic of forgiveness in the Christian life. It is exciting to be a pastor and hear some of the things that God has forgiven people of and to let people know that God cares and He offers hope and forgiveness. There is a teenager who wrote a book, Walter Truett Anderson. He wrote, I belong to the blank generation. I have no beliefs. I belong to no community, tradition, or anything like that. I'm lost in this vast, vast world. I belong nowhere. I have absolutely no identity. That person is lost. He feels lost. He knows he's lost. But he could be found in Christ. He could be forgiven in Christ. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells some stories of things that were lost. Things that were lost. Luke 15, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to these Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus talks about the value of things lost. He says, Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. So maybe you're lucky or fortunate enough to know the day that there is rejoicing in heaven over the day you repented.
For me, I'm pretty sure it was December 18, 1982. It means I've been a Christian for quite a while. And I haven't been perfect. But God's forgiveness is perfect. And He loves me. And He keeps coming and reaching out to me over time. I mean, it's easier now. But when I was first living in Christ, I did lots of things that I needed to be forgiven of. And He, the Heavenly Father, is quick to forgive. And Jesus is full of, of love and care, and there's rejoicing in heaven when a lost person is found. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Lost people matter to God. Last, lost people matter to us. And wouldn't it be exciting to hear one of the kids at the harvest party heard the gospel message and responded, or maybe they read one of the tracts that some of us passed out last night. On that great night I refer to as Tract with Treat. Tracts are gospel literature, little booklets that you, that you hand out or little pamphlets that talk about the gospel and you know something like this. So, you came to my house, you knocked on the door, you get a tract with your treat. So and maybe that seed will, will result in something. So we're lost because we've left God. Some people go out of their way to avoid God. Some people are straying away from God. But you and I, you and I are lost without God. You and I are lost when we wander through this world without God. And I think we all have a void in our heart that lets us know there is a God that we should seek after, but many of us just want to do things our own way. Now, as we think about what God is, is God a heaven, heavenly loving Father, or is He an employer? Is He the type of person that you have to constantly do everything right and then all is okay? And if you don't, then you're fired, you're gone, and He'll replace you with somebody else? God shows Himself as a caring, loving, heavenly Father. He disciplines us, but He doesn't just dump us like an employer would. An employer might look at your productivity and say, well, you know, you don't measure up, you're out. But God is patient, and He's promising to continue the work He's begun in us. So we go through this life, and we need to see in our mind that our Heavenly Father is caring and loving, and He reaches out to us. Not permissive in a way that God's just like, I love you, love you, love you, do whatever you want, like a cosmic grandpa or something like that, but no, somebody who really cares. And so we need to see God as a Heavenly Father that cares about us and loves us. So there's another story. It talks about a dad and two sons. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, which is kind of unheard of because usually you wait until the father died before you divide up the inheritance. And since he was the younger son, he didn't get the most inheritance, but he's come to a point where he says, you know, Dad, I don't want to work on this farm or whatever with you. This, I don't want to be with you anymore. I want to go do my own thing. I want to go out into the world and make it on my own, so give me my portion. Give me what it is that I think I have coming, which is very interesting because 
in this request that's unheard of. This idea of trying to get your inheritance before the father had died. A biblical scholar, Kenneth Bailey, who lived in the Middle East for 40 years, said that he's talked to hundreds of people in the Middle East about this story. He asks them, have you ever heard a son ask for his inheritance? Do you know what the typical response is from Middle Easterners is? They say, never. How could anyone ever make such a request? That would be impossible. Bailey then asked, if anyone ever did ask, what would happen? They say, his father would beat him, of course. Bailey says, why? Because asking for an inheritance means the son wants his father to die. So, so what the son's really saying is, I wish you were dead so I could get your stuff and go do my own thing on my own away from you. And he did this publicly. So the son has insulted his father. He's humiliated his father. He's cursed his father and insulted him and embarrassed him. And it's possible he had a murderous heart. And Jesus was telling this story to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and this is their, their mouths probably dropped, and they're like, wow, that's, that's really bold. I mean, to ask for his inheritance means the son wants his father to die. And sin is wishing God were dead. Sin is where you want to do your own thing, and you say, you know, God, I don't want to have any part of you. I don't want to do your thing. You know, I just wish you couldn't see me so I could go do my thing. And, you know, they say that character, character is what you would do in private if you knew that nobody would find out. That's a real test of your character. And so you go, oh, God sees everything. I, I know I can't get away with that. Well, I could, maybe he doesn't care, so I'm just going to do it anyway. And we end up in this whole temptation thing. But sin is wishing God were dead. And you and I have conflicts, inner conflicts and outer conflicts that, that pull on us both ways. And if we see our Heavenly Father as impossible to please, if we see our Heavenly Father as some God who no matter what we do, we just can't get acceptance or feel acceptance and it just seems so impossible, then we won't feel comfortable pursuing Him in that relationship and entrusting in His ways and His, His will and even His rules. So you know this story. You've heard this story before. This son, this son, he goes off and he does his own thing. You know, he's taking part of the estate. He's going out and he's thinking he's living life and having the best time. Luke 15, 14, after he had spent everything, which probably didn't take him very long, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. You know, it's interesting. You figure out who your real friends are. If you have a lot of resources, then everybody wants to be your friend. But then when the resources dry up, then they're not such good friends anymore. And he began to be in need. And all those people that were there when he had the money probably weren't. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here he's, he's hitting rock bottom, just like the guy in the video that we saw, that he comes to a point in his life where he's not happy in his relationships or anything else in life, and he comes face to face with God, repents of his sin, the angels in heaven rejoice. He's like, I've made a mess of my life. I've made a mess of my marriage. I don't really think there's any hope, but I sure would like forgiveness from her, and I'm sure that she's not going to ever take me back. But he got God's forgiveness and eventually he got her forgiveness. Now they're married again. And I would bet that their relationship is a lot better than it was before. 
And I think that sometimes God allows us to come to the bottom of ourselves before we realize that we need help, and then we get that help, and then life can become better. But the son, the son, if you read in between the lines, it's very interesting. He doesn't, I'll read it. When he came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please forgive me. Take me back. No. He says, make me like one of your hired men. So he's like, I probably don't deserve to be a son anymore, but I deserve, I deserve to be a hired man. I've got some experience there, and I'll just work, and I could probably pay him back and make everything right. He's still doing things on his own way, in his own terms. And Luke 15, 20, so he got up and went to his father. And I think he probably expected his father to come out and say, well, that didn't take long for you to blow everything. That didn't take long for you to screw up your life. And look at you coming back begging to me. I kind of figured this would happen. No, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. I bet this is the kind of dad that would pray for him all the time and think about him and say, I wonder, wonder how he's doing. Lord, I don't know what he's doing, but keep him safe. Keep him from the things that could happen to him. Lord, if you could get a message to him somehow that I care and love, care for him and love him, that would, be, that would be so great. He probably just kind of looked down the road at the end of the driveway, you know, wondering, I wonder if, wonder if, wonder if he'd come back. Maybe there's somebody waiting for you to come back. His father saw him, he was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the younger son returns, not as a son, but rather as an employee. And maybe that's fair. Maybe that's fair because when you've done something so wrong, you don't expect any grace. You don't expect that type of forgiveness. You don't expect that somebody would just take you back or take you as you are. But God does. The people that love you will. And so the Father cared and the Father loved. And the Father does even more than that. The Father didn't just come to him, but he throws him a party. The Father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And it was a great day of excitement. It was a great day of finding something that was lost and having it come back. Having it come back to share life with again. Because life is for a long time. If your average life is 70 years and you mess up when you're 25 and you get it all together and you come back into a right relationship with God and people, you know, by 30, there are still 40 years or more to have a great life together. And this father celebrated that his son came back. So instead of condemning his son, the father runs to greet him and seals his forgiveness with a lavish celebration. He says, I forgive you. I'm telling all my friends and everybody I know too that I am so glad that you're back. And whatever it is that you've done, I don't know where you've been or what you've done, I offer forgiveness. And God offers that same type of forgiveness to you. And that's what we offer as Christians, as Christ followers to the people around is wherever it is that you've been, wherever it is and the things that you've done, God forgives. 
God will forgive if you ask Him. And He has a lavish celebration. A lavish celebration. And then there's the older brother. The older brother is like, wait a second. I'm doing all the work around here. I've always done all the work around here. I'm always faithful doing the right thing. And you never had a party for me. Well, let's hear his words as he rejects his brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. You know, it's interesting, too, that this father has to forgive his younger son. Now he's got to forgive his older son for being hateful. And he's like stuck in the middle of these two sinful boys trying to hold them together, trying to make peace in his household and get them to make peace with God. The father says, look, I care about you and I care about him too. But the older brother, he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So the elder son surrendered his soul to his pride and self-sufficiency. So one was just out of control with the lusts of his flesh and the things that he wanted to do. And the older son has got pride and self-sufficiently, self-sufficiency. And we often want that, don't we? we don't, sometimes we don't want people to succeed when they've done wrong. We, we want, when others have done wrong, we want justice, not mercy. We want them to get what's coming to them. And now, sometimes, you know, if you're in a high-pressure work environment and things like that, you don't like it when people take credit for the things that you've done well. And sometimes you want people to fall, and you want justice instead of mercy. But God doesn't treat us that way. God is the one who gives us great mercy. And the father's response then, he says to the older son, he's like, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is now found. And maybe you are lost today and you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Heavenly Father's love is unquenchable and this father's love was unquenchable. And God loves you so much and He cares for you so much that He made it possible for you to be made right in a right relationship. And He did that through the third son. You're probably looking at the Bible going, third son? I don't see a third son. The third son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus paid for all our sins and thereby opened the way for all of us to return to our Father's loving arms. You know this. He's made it possible. He's paid the price. He's given us. He's paid the admission so we can spend eternity with Him. And because of this, the Father is waiting for you to return so that He may bless you, forgive you, accept you, and celebrate over you with a whole host of heaven. You know, the Bible says that the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save those who were lost to save what was lost. And lost people matter to God. And God gets excited when lost people come back to Him. So as we talk about the G's of get the log out of your own eye and gently restore and go be reconciled. The foundational G is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. And the challenge is to think of someone you know who is lost and in need of Jesus' forgiveness and love and then find a way to point this person to the loving arms 
of the welcoming Father. But before we go, if I can have your time for just a few more minutes, I know that because the clock has changed, your body's probably like, it's past lunchtime. But I think you'll be encouraged by this. I, I found this. A website called Muslim Journey to Hope has like 60 or 70 testimonies of Muslims who have come to Jesus Christ, video testimonies of many who have converted from Islam to Christianity. One video clip is of an Iranian-born man who had been a militant Muslim trained by Hezbollah. While on a trip to Malaysia, he was arrested and jailed, which only fueled his passion for his religion. He taught Islam to the other prisoners. Every 10 days, he read the Quran cover to cover. Over time, he even developed extraordinary spiritual powers, including the ability to inflict curses on people. But one day, this man had a terrifying vision of Satan coming for him. Without really knowing why, he cried out, Jesus, if you are true, show me yourself. Before he finished this sentence, everything was back to normal. He says, but that was not my conversion, the man says. He said, that was the beginning of my confusion. He kept asking himself, why would Jesus help a Muslim? For two weeks, he fasted and prayed, asking God, what is the way you want me to follow? No answer came. Then, just as he decided to give up and go his own way, the presence of God filled his cell. He was confronted with God's holiness and had a crushing sense of guilt. He was sure he would die. Over and over again, he cried, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. It was then that he felt the touch on his shoulder and a voice said, I forgive you. The man says in the video that in that moment, I physically felt forgiven. Still, he was concerned. The Quran says that no one can know they are forgiven until they die. With that in mind, he asked, Who is this God who forgives now? Who are you? And the voice replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The man didn't recognize those words, so he said, What is your name? Jesus Christ, the voice said. At this point in the video, the man begins, we begins weeping. Eighteen years have passed, he says, but I still can't forget his love, his mercy, and that I'm forgiven. Lord, thank you so much that it is possible for us to be forgiven by asking, by asking, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin and to come into my life and change me and make me the person you created me to be. I don't want to live my life on my own anymore. I want to follow you in your ways. Please save me and come into my life. Is a prayer that you could pray. Or maybe you've walked away from God in some form of rebellion in which today you'd pray, Lord Jesus, you know I've walked away. Please forgive me. I want to follow your way. And I've got these struggles and I've got these problems. And please help me through them together. Help me to find victory in this defeated life that I'm living. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We can come and worship you and to encourage each other in this church. And Lord, we just pray that we would be forgiven, feel forgiveness, and tell others how they can be forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.